This is DT Fay, a podcast for people who like their coffee icy and their books spicy. Hosted by Elle and Kate. Welcome to the first episode of DT Faye. I'm Kate. And I'm Elle. And we're two friends who love romantasy books. Enemies to lovers, forced proximity, found family, anything with good world building and a little or a lot of spice. This is something we've wanted to do for years, but we had no idea how. We still have no idea what we're doing, but we've reached the fuck it stage of life. <laughs> and it's the perfect time with the third Crescent City book, House of Flame and Shadow, coming out at the end of January. So... We figured, like us, people would be reading, rereading, or just want a refresher on the first two books. We'll be starting today with Crescent City, House of Earth and Blood, Part 1, which is Chapters 1 through 7. Honestly, what a time to be alive as a fan of romance and fantasy books. People really don't know how great they have it with book talk. I had to discover Black Dagger Brotherhood reading over Elle's shoulder on a plane. (laughs) But with book talk, there's this community of people sharing recommendations and theories about the books we love, like Crescent City. Our credentials are the fact that we have read damn near every series in the genre. Some of my favorite non-SJM series are From Blood and Ash and its prequel, um, Flesh and Fire. Ended up liking that one even more. And most JLA books, including her new one, Fall of Ruin and Wrath. Speaking of more recent releases, Fourth Wing, The Serpent and the Wings of Night, Kingdom of the Wicked, Daughter of No Worlds, The Demon Queen Trials, and My Guilty Pleasure, Zodiac Academy. Ah, Zodiac Academy. I actually really love the prequel, which is the Dark Phase series, if you like a good reverse harem. Mm, just saying. Yeah, do. Uh, also really enjoyed Demon Days, Vampire Nights, the Keystone series, the Fever series, and the Wicked series. There's just so many great ones out there. We love everything our Lord and Savior SJM writes. We're starting with Crescent City, and while we're not setting out to spoil Throne of Glass and Akatar, so much of the fun with Crescent City is... The hints at crossovers, the connections, and the Easter eggs. So it's not required, but we highly recommend reading those series before Crescent City. And we'll try to say spoiler alert so you can skip ahead if you want to. LPN Deep Dives has a guided reading podcast like we're doing, but it's for Akatar. And Natalie and Jackie are hilarious, so check that out. Every week we'll be covering chapters from House of Earth and Blood that you can find in the show notes. On today's episode, we're talking chapters 1 through 7, but also giving a breakdown of the world because there's a lot going on. Next week, we'll be sure to cover chapters 8 through 18. I love this series. It might even be my favorite. But I have to be honest, it took me a couple of times starting and restarting to really get into it. There is a lot of world building and character introductions, and it's overwhelming. I've heard the same from people I've recommended it to, but you just have to keep in mind you don't need to memorize every single detail. SJM is good about reminding us of important details when we need them. I agree. I do really like this book, but it took me a minute to get into it because you meet a lot of characters at first. Uh, It's a little bit annoying. Some of the characters, they grow on you. They grow up a bit throughout the series. There's a lot of information about the world itself. There's a lot of information about the individual friendships. It's, It's a lot all at once, but I had to take notes. So we should start with a quick breakdown. We are introduced to Midgard, a world that used to be ruled by humans before magical beings called Vanir entered via a rift. The Vanir, who are ruled by the Asteri, enslaved and mistreated humans for the next 15,000 years. The calendars are literally labeled as HE and VE, Human Era and Vanir Era. There are four houses that make up Midgard. Just an interesting note, Midgard loosely translates to Earth. 
So could Midgard actually be Earth? Is Crescent City literally New Orleans? And could it be at a point in time after Throne of Glass and or Akatar, and that's where the Fae came from? It's worth mentioning that Terracin means Old Earth from Throne of Glass. We'll talk about all of that and much more as we progress through the story, but I do love these theories. Side note, I found a really detailed list of possible name origins on Reddit that linked to a Google Doc posted by Wandering in Valaris. So shout out to that creator for sharing her research. We'll also be referencing Crescent City Wiki, who has Banshee Queen or Jasmine listed as its administrator. Her Instagram is Jasmine's Library. Back to the four houses. The house of earth and blood is made up of witches, shifters, and humans. So this is the house the pack of devils and Bryce's mom, Ember, and her stepfather, Randall, belong to. It's also the former house of Bryce's boss, Jessiba, who now belongs to the house of flame and shadow. Hmm. The house of flame and shadow has wraiths, vampires. Yeah, vampires, not vampire. They're fancy. <laughs> Necromancers, dragons, and quote, many wicked and unnamed things that even Erd herself cannot see. These are led by the Underking. Erd sounds a lot like word to me, right? Right. Like with the King of Highburn, we do not know the Underking's name. I don't even think he has one. I have a feeling these unnamed characters are going to be one of the ways Sarah ties these worlds together. Kind of like how we do not know anyone's last name in Akatar. Also, if Flame and Shadow sounds familiar, it's because of this line from Empire of Storms. Quote, The Queen of Flame and Shadow, the Heir of Fire... Aelin of the Wildfire, Fireheart. She burned through each title, even as she became them. I'll stop there to avoid any um, Throne of Glass spoilers, but I do not believe in coincidences when it comes to SJM. The House of Many Waters is exactly what you'd think. Mare, which is mermaids, mermen, kelpies, nymphs, shit living in the water. This house is ruled by the River Queen, who we don't really know much about yet. Lastly, we have the house that our main character, Bryce, belongs to. The House of Sky and Breath, or as Danica calls it, the House of Shitheads and Bastards. In addition to Faye, or half Faye in Bryce's case, the House of Sky and Breath's members include the Malachim. Malachim? Definitely Malachim. said Malachim in my head. Or angels, who remind me of the description of the Seraphim in Akatar. So maybe there's a connection there. They just, the wings, um, I don't remember if the wings in Akatar were white, but they were feathered, right? Yeah, I don't remember if they were white. I think they were. I think they had Definitely feathers. feathered wings. Yeah. Sprites used to belong to this house, but were kicked out after the capital F fall. So now they're considered lowers. Which Crescent City house do you think you'd belong to? Mm, I would definitely be either House of Sky and Breath, because I'd be Fae, hmm. or I'd be House of Earth and Blood, because I'd be a powerful witch. I looked online for a Crescent City quiz, and I could not find one. I found an Akatar quiz on BuzzFeed, and I got spring court. <laughs> I took it twice and I still refuse to accept it. If anyone finds a Crescent City house sorting quiz online, send it to dtfaepodcast at gmail.com and send us your Akatar quiz results too. Now that we've covered the main houses, let's talk about the world itself. Our main character, Bryce, lives on the continent of Valbara in Lunathian, which is named for the goddess Luna. It's more commonly called Crescent City. And unlike other SJM books, Crescent City is a modern city with technology like cell phones, guns, and most importantly, reality TV. Crescent City is built along the curve of a river, which sounds a hell of a lot like one of the places Aelin passes through in Throne of Glass. 
Spoiler alert, she describes a great city built along the curve of a river with impossibly tall buildings and glimmering with lights. We do know that she saw Feyre and her mate, who I won't name for those who haven't read Akatar, because Sarah confirmed it in an interview. By the way, I should mention I'm terrible at pronouncing names and places. I go around for months saying the names in my head, and they're almost always wrong. Do you remember when I was reading Throne of Glass, and I was like, there's a whole book about Chow? <laughs> well, I thought his name was Cole, but apparently it's Kale. You were like, with such confidence, it's Cole. <laughs> Did I ever tell you about the guy I had a crush on in college named Corey? Um, he was like really smart. I think he's a doctor now, but I was in a science class with him and I actually did good on a test, which was rare in science. And he was like, wow, that's, you did a really good job. And I was like, thanks. I have a photogenic memory. (laughs) I think about that like once a week. And if you can't tell we're from Nashville, so we're going to try to keep our accents out of pronouncing names like brass brass or maca. I'm usually pretty good at suppressing it, but every now and then my mouth opens and banjos start playing. (laughs) (laughs) Yikes. Uh, As far as leadership, the governor of Crescent City is Archangel Micah Domitus, and above him are the Asteri, who rule Midgard from the Eternal City in Pangera. We'll definitely discuss Pangera more soon. There are several theories about the Asteri being connected to Akatar and Throne of Glass, by the way. It is interesting there are six Asteri with the seventh one being dead. Question mark? It's just like an empty chair. There's a certain blood-drinking silver-eyed character in Akatar who's from another world and literally becomes pure light in her true form. Side note, have you ever noticed there's a lot of sevens in Sarah's books? There's the Seven Asteri, the Seven Quartz in Akatar, the Seven Princes and their levels of hell, Seven Siphons on one of our Bat Boys. Mm-hmm. Are both of our Bat Boys? I can't remember. <laughs> one at least has seven. And the Seven Levels in the Library at the House of Wind. We meet a lot of characters pretty quickly, starting with Bryce, who is a half-fae, half-human, working at a gallery called Griffin Antiquities, and her BFF, Danica Fendir. Danica's a wolf shifter and alpha of the Pack of Devils. The Pack of Devils are part of the auxiliary, which is basically the police. Each species has their own ox. Danica's described as having silvery blonde hair with streaks of amethyst, sapphire, and rose, which sounds like a lot of upkeep, but whatever. They were roommates at CCU, which is Crescent City University, and they've been friends and roommates ever since. Danica shows up at Bryce's work needing to stash her sword in the supply closet, which Bryce knows will piss off her boss, Jessica. And you don't want to piss off Jessica because she's a sorceress that will literally turn you into something like a frog or a donkey. But to Jessica's credit, she does give Bryce an amulet that offers protection from magic. Basically, it's a hazmat suit and a necklace, probably more to protect the gallery than anything else. The amulet has three entwined circles, and that kind of reminds me of the bone carver in Akatar is drawing something similar in the sand and the eye of Elena from Throne of Glass. In fact, the gallery not only has spells and enchantments to protect it from magic, but it also has an old school generator. Bryce had always wondered why until a recent blackout when the generator had kept the mechanical locks in place during looting. It makes you wonder what Jespa has in there that's so important. The sword, by the way, was given to Danica on her 18th birthday by her grandfather, the prime apparent of the Valbaran wolves, which pissed off her mother, Sabine. It doesn't help that Danica, not Sabine, is rumored to be second in line, and that she's roommates with a, quote, half-breed slut. Those are Sabine's words, not mine. Something small, I think, is fun in this series, that, that the wolves can talk in their wolf form. I have so many questions about that. 
How are they forming words with a wolf mouth? I'm Is picturing it... the wolf mouth opening and then her voice just comes out of it. Yeah. They don't really reference if it's mind to mind, so it has to be just out there somehow. Yeah. Uh, the shifters also made me think of the high fae, especially tampon and Fenris. Tampon. <laughs> Could they be fae that can change forms or are they a completely different species? It seems like with what we know so far, they're a different species. They did enter via the rift, so who's to say they didn't come from one of the other worlds we know? Bryce has wine red hair, amber eyes, full lips, and high cheekbones, so she's gorgeous. But even with her arched ears, her freckled skin is a dead giveaway that she's only half fey. Another giveaway is how slowly her new matching tattoo is healing compared to Danica's. Right away, you can tell Bryce is different from the other SJM main characters. She isn't struggling to survive. Her life isn't perfect, but she's not living in a cabin with her shitty family or having to enter a contest for assassins. She's employed. She has friends like the Pack and Juniper and Fury, who we'll meet later, parties, and she gets her nails done. It's a totally different vibe than we're used to with SJM books. Bryce is more relatable than a lot of the female leads to me. When Danica comes to the gallery, she tells Bryce about a human rebel she helped arrest, Philip Briggs, and he's being released due to a loophole. She blames fucked up paperwork, which, what the fuck, Danica literally caught him with blueprints to blow up a club, the White Raven, so it's very sus. Just a side note, I can totally understand why the humans are rebelling. Yeah, the lucky humans are lower class. Elsewhere, like where Briggs is from, they're slaves in food. I don't support Briggs's methods, but I do support the rebellion. I'm actually surprised Bryce isn't more upset about the treatment of humans. It's also in this conversation we learn about the people that govern and police Crescent City. Those that lead are the Archangel Micah, who's the governor and accountable only to the Asteri, and the six lower heads for each region of the city. The Prime of the Wolves over Moonwood, the Fey Autumn King in Five Roses, the Under King in the Bone Quarter, although Jessica tends to attend meetings in his place, the Viper Queen in the Meat Market, the Oracle in the Old Square, and the River Queen beneath the Istrost River. The humans in Aspidel? I'm sorry, Alan. I promise I know how to read. The humans, of fucking course, have no seat at the table. And I forgot to mention... Lahaba? We're, we're going to say Lily. I forgot to mention Lily, a tiny fire sprite who loves gossip and trashy TV, which same. She has SPQM, and that's a Roman thing, right? Mm-hmm. Tattooed on her arm, marking her as a slave. All sprites are marked as soon as they're born because they, the collective they, not just every single one of them, joined a rebellion. I know it could be worse than living and working in the archives at Griffin Antiquities, but it's still really fucked up. In a lot of ways, like phones and TV, Crescent City is more advanced than we've seen in other SJM books. But it's not as progressive as you initially think it is. I mean, they have public crucifixions. Oof. I know they're not human, but it's so savage and inhumane. It's just, it's wild to me that their technology is so modern, but the society hasn't advanced. One of our favorite characters is Syrinx. Shrinks in my head. (laughs) Bless him. He's a 30-pound chimera who, in my mind, is a chunky mini lion. He's got the personality of my dog, Fergus. He just loves his food and pets. He's like a Crescent City version of Fleetfoot from Throne of Glass. And Lily reminds me of that brownie from the New Orleans series we liked. Wicked. Wicked. It's a wicked trilogy. Yeah. Syrinx is, quote, an expensive and rare creature, and he's brought in to help Lahaba guard the books, but he's more interested in his belly rubs and his dinner. 
In chapter two, we get a mini tour of the city with Bryce, who's on a mission from Jessica while she's walking with Danica. Bryce is fielding texts from Danica's pack, who are worried about Danica's reaction to the Briggs news. We learn that Crescent City has seven gates, another seven. They're sitting on ley lines that are used for communication by guards centuries ago, but are now more of a tourist attraction. The gate at the heart of the old square, called the Heart Gate, has a quartz archway that fills the square with rainbows on summer solstice, and the gate is located by Luna's temple. You kind of say tourist, like your sister says tur. (laughs) I would definitely be one of those annoying tourists taking a selfie because it sounds gorgeous, and I know that people are kind of hard on tourists, but... And it's, it's easy to be like that when you're in Nashville, but when we're other places, I mean, we have we our phones <laughs> up and we have fanny packs and so whatever. Uh, the plaque that's above the gate reads, the power shall always belong to those who give their lives to the city. Bryce muses that the statement could be considered anti-hysteria, so she's surprised they keep it up. Danica jumps line using her badge. This might be an unpopular opinion, but Danica's kind of a mean girl. Yeah, I know we need to get to know her a little bit more, but initially she gives off kind of an entitled and insensitive vibe. I mean, unless you're her BFF or her pack. Lily doesn't like her either. I, I trust. I, I trust, trust Lily. <laughs> have you read the Bargainer series? I know you have because it's on your Kindle. I, I use <laughs> yeah. her Kindle. Um, I, I have her password, so I know exactly what you've read. But they use ley lines to travel between worlds. So when I read ley lines, it made me think about that series. Yeah, it's kind of, I mean, it kind of relates to the gates. Kind of like the gates remind me of the throne of glass word gates and word keys. Baba Yellowlegs says that they were the foundations of the world keeping realms, maybe like Crescent City, throne of glass, Akatar, apart. So they're definitely another clue pointing to a Mossverse. Bryce has her own mission from Jessica to find Luna's horn, an ancient fey relic stolen from the temple during that recent power outage. Micah's offering a huge reward for it, which is weird because it's Mostly a symbol. It's supposed to be broken. Or at least that's what we think. For a best friend, Danica isn't exactly helpful about finding the horn. She basically tells Bryce to drop it. Meanwhile, Bryce is there reassuring Danica that Briggs will be thrown back in jail. I mean, he has the 33rd monitoring him. Micah might even send his personal assassin, the Umbra Mortis, who has the rare gift of lightning in his veins. Umbra Mortis is Latin and translates to shadow of death. They make a pretty big deal about this angel being special. He's not like other angels. He's He's a a cool angel. angel. We later learn his name, or really I guess it's his nickname, is Hunt. I have a lot of Hunt theories that I'm going to have to keep to myself because they involve some characters we haven't met yet, but there are plenty of Hunt origin and connections to other book possibilities. I did notice in my reread the phrasing... um, Lightning zapped through her was used when Bryce puts her hand on the disc at the heart gate to make a wish. And who do we know that has lightning? Let's talk about the drop, which neither Bryce nor Danica have done yet, but plan to do when they turn 27, right before any permanent lines or wrinkles. Or saggy tits. (laughs) Duh. It doesn't give you immortality, but it does significantly slow the aging process. They plan on doing it together because besties, but because Bryce is half human, she's not exactly sure how long she'll live. It'll be longer than human years, but it could be a thousand or it could just be a hundred. And Danica will be very powerful once she makes the drop, more powerful than her jealous mom and maybe even powerful enough to be alpha of all wolves everywhere on On the the planet. planet. (laughs) The whole planet. 
There are different dominant shifter packs in control in different territories. There's lions, tigers, falcons. And I know it's falcons and not hawks, but my mind went to Rowan. They describe the drop as falling into your power, and upon reaching the bottom, it's a race to get back up before you run out of time and literally die. It sounds terrifying, which is why having an anchor who acts as a lifeline is so important. While there aren't any specific mentions of a drop in Akatar or Throne of Glass, both Feyre and Aelin had moments I could see being similar to the drop. Feyre using you-know-who as her tether to life, and Aelin faced herself and accepted who she was. She also literally dropped through worlds. During the drop, Vanir released a flash of pure raw magic that is, quote, donated to the Republic and used for first light, which is basically their electricity. And when they use the gates, usually to yell something like titties or wish for something really deep, like bigger boobs, it takes a drop of their magic. The first time I read that, I remember thinking it was sketchy. But the drop parties where they use the light to make party favors sound like fun. Can you imagine Nashville would be overrun with drop parties? (laughs) Also, drops or kernels of magic remind me of Akatar. If you know, you know. Bryce complains about her fake cousin, Rune, who's actually her half-brother, or, quote, half-brother and full-fay prick, according to her. He'll be at the meeting that Danica is attending about Briggs today. We're not straight up told who Bryce's father is, right? Like, I don't remember a big reveal. It just becomes really obvious through context clues. Um, Sabine never even told Danica who her father is. They both have daddy issues, so trauma bond. But Ember acts as a mother to both Bryce and Danica, who affectionately calls her mom. Randall is who Bryce considers her real father. We learn more about both Ember and Randall later, but it's important to note Randall made sure Bryce was trained and could take care of herself before she went to CCU. He is a legendary sharpshooter, and he's not a stepfather. He's the father who stepped up. Oh, I love that. We meet a lot of people in chapters three and four, including the entire pack of devils, who are back at the apartment when Bryce comes home before heading out on a date with a rich human named Reed. Danica and Bryce's friendship and everyone being at the house hanging out, it makes me nostalgic for college or even like early 20s after college. I've probably just romanticized that time in my life when I didn't have a mortgage or back pain. (laughs) But it's hard to keep close friendships like that as an adult and everything is just so scheduled. You like plan your hangouts, you plan what you're going to do, and there's never any time to just be in each other's company anymore. The most important member of Danica's pack, at least in regards to the storyline, is Connor, who's Danica's second. Connor would have been alpha if Danica weren't around, but he's not resentful or jealous. We love a confident king. He has a younger brother named Ethan, who plays Sunball. <laughs> in my head, it was Ethan because I'm so fucking stupid. Ethan slash Ethan, okay. who plays Sunball, which I picture is baseball, but maybe it's lacrosse or rugby. Either way, I bet they're hot. What sport, in your opinion, has the hottest players? Probably baseball, because have you seen those butts? Mm -hmm. Or swimmers, because they have great abs. I'm going to go rugby, because I love thick thighs. And they all have Scottish accents in my head. Mm -hmm. Baseball's up there, mostly because of the pants. And I know Book Talk is obsessed with hockey players. Dead last for me is golf. Ethan and Bryce have a cute sibling-like relationship, but he's not at the apartment that night because he's partying with his teammates after his big sunball game. There's also Thorn, the Omega, who may or may not have a thing with Danica. It's a long shot for him, but the two seem to be pulled toward each other. The Packers staying in that night, watching TV, drinking beer, eating pizza to keep them from going out and killing Briggs, who we learn has officially been released. 
I find it hard to believe that Micah, Maka, the Autumn King, <laughs> and the Oracle couldn't find a way around this loophole. Humans have literally no rights, like just throw them in a dungeon. Danica is obviously upset, and Bryce thinks it might be something more than just Briggs' release. She straight up asks what Danica isn't telling her, and Danica says, nothing, full stop. It turns out it's more mommy issues. Sabine cornered Danica to lecture her about two CCU research students that were killed near the temple during Danica's shift. This is the night that they had that blackout. The students were, quote, ripped to shreds and partially eaten. At least the prime wasn't upset because he was asleep during the meeting. (laughs) Clearly affected Danica, though. Bryce's room is covered in posters for the Crescent City Ballet. And while she loves to dance, she was told she has the wrong body type. Gorgeous Bryce has the wrong body type, but they have Juniper up there clopping around on stage. <laughs> it's sure, it does remind me of Farah because that bitch loved to paint. My favorite memes are the ones that Farah's painting and everyone's like, that looks so good. And it's like stick figures, <laughs> like how cats and babies look in Renaissance paintings. That's how I imagine her paintings look. If you're a fan of memes, by the way, check out the Court of Memes on Instagram. And this is a total sidebar. But have we talked about Aelin, she, when she was rebuilding, she wanted to put a focus on theaters and like performing arts. And in my mind, it's canon that the rainbow part of Valaris is what Aelin rebuilt. I mean, I don't know. I'm probably making connections where there are any, but wouldn't that be fun? I could totally see it. By the way, just want to put out there that I would absolutely buy a copy of the Hottest Bachelors of Crescent City Clothing Optional Edition. It's what they have in their apartment. Same. Connor is not happy about Bryce's date with Reed, the rich, hot-as-hell human whose dad owns Redner Industries. She met him through Danica, who does part-time security work there. Danica claims the work that she does at the massive human-owned tech company is too boring to explain, but it pays well. She's so sketchy. There are a lot of sides to Danica, and even though she clearly loves and cares for Bryce, you get the feeling there's a lot Bryce doesn't know about her. It's all very surface, which college and 20s, friendships were like that it was mainly do we live near each other are we going to the same bars and we can ride together it, it, there wasn't a lot of depth before bryce leaves for her date and heals for a 25 minute walk by the way that's a no for me dog connor finally asks her out after five years connor had feelings for bryce the whole time but he's serious about it now we all know how bryce feels about quote alpha holes which is understandable considering her fey father tried to imprison her human mom but it seems like an unfair comparison. Connor waited five years. Connor gives a speech, which may or may not have been rehearsed, but he's straight to the point. You want me, I want you. Bryce is all, possessive veneers, blah, blah. My toxic trait is I love the possessive men in romanticy books. Obviously, I don't want that in real life. There's something about the, don't look at her, don't touch her, the <laughs> characters in these books. Connor points out that he is not her father, which... Thank God, that's important in any relationship. (laughs) Something I miss in Crescent City is the fashion from Akatar, the beautifully detailed dresses and the huge jewels. And the most we get here is tight dresses and pearl studs. I understand it has a modern setting, but I still miss it. Connor pitches the idea for a trial date, a date before a date. Everyone should have to do a date before a date. I mean, let's do a meetup. Bryce doesn't say yes, but she doesn't say no. Danica throws out a quote, light it up. Light it up. Light it up, Danica. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Light it up as Bryce is leaving. I don't have any catchphrases for any of my friendships. Do you? I mean, we have snicks instead of snacks. 
we call Ubers instead of Ubers. You have some silly words like appetizers. Appetizers. Tampoons. <laughs> Tampoons. But there's something about Light It Up that makes me cringe. And I think it's the way the audiobook woman, who does a great job, but in that for that line, it's always Light It Up, Light It Up, Danica. You can definitely see a college, you're just college girls yeah. yelling at each other. And that, that's fine. They're woo girls. We're just in our 30s now. So it's like, okay, yeah. guys. <laughs> also, I feel like the word light here is interesting. And it might be a little bit of foreshadowing. As Bryce is leaving the apartment complex, she notes how shitty it is. And Danica could afford better, but chooses to live there because Bryce can swing it with her paycheck. Why not let everyone pay what they can and live in the high rise if Danica can afford it? If you win the lottery, it will not hurt my feelings if you let me live there for free. I can do that. You can have your own wing. Thank you. The date with Reed is at a fancy restaurant and he's late. She drinks a half bottle of wine while she waits. Which is bold because I'd be scared that he would never come and then they'd come at me with a check. Oof. I bet that's expensive. Others at the restaurant are clearly judging and looking down their noses at Bryce, a half-breed in her tight dress. She gets a text, but it's from Connor, not Reed. He says, you know, I'm shit with talking, but what I wanted to say was that I think it's worth it. You and me giving us a shot. I'm crazy about you. Just give me a chance, please. I love Connor. He even says, please. But here comes Reed, a boring human who is on his phone before he even pulls out of her. They talk about fun topics like war. The humans are ready to wipe themselves out rather than submit to the Asteri, which is very give me liberty or give me death. And if the conflict were to spread, one of the first places it would land would be Crescent City, something Briggs was clearly trying to instigate. Bryce's mind wanders, and she wonders what it was like before in H.E., the human era, with just humans and regular animals. Do you think the the regular animals ever look at, like, the wolves that can talk, and they're just like, what the fuck? (laughs) I don't (laughs) know. How did we get here? I'm going to guess it was way better for the humans before. Bryce can't stop thinking about Connor's text. How he wouldn't even tolerate Vanier in the room sneering at her. Even Danica is saying that a date with Connor would not kill her. So she says, fuck it, and breaks up with Reed. She leaves the restaurant and calls Fury and Juniper to clop on over to the White Raven, a temple-turned-club that Briggs, who's now out of jail, tried to blow up. They're going to the place that the guy who is now out of jail tried to blow up, which is brilliant. I'd go straight home to Connor personally. She does text him agreeing to a date, and he talks about spoiling her and how she won't regret it. I'm in love with Connor. And I know not to get attached to the first love interest where SJM is involved. Fury is a mysterious character. Bryce doesn't even know which house she belongs to. It's apparently rude to ask, which we do know that Fury made the drop at 21, and being at CCU was maybe a front for a mission because she's maybe an assassin, according to Danica. I'd at least ask my close friends what their house was, right? A female outside of the club tries to sell Bryce a new drug. Quote, synth will make you feel like a god, she says, but Bryce can't afford it. Let's all remember this moment, unlike Bryce, who then snorts some white powder Fury brought in addition to her mirth root. Fury does, however, warn Bryce to stay away from synth, calling it some bad shit. Bryce, Fury, and Juniper, did we mention she has hooves? <laughs> That's my favorite part. Drink and snort and smoke and dance and sweat. Should I tell the story? The white powder makes me think of cocaine. Should I tell the story about the first time I tried cocaine? I shit myself. That's the whole story. <laughs> <laughs> and Bryce must not get sweat stains in the same place as I do. It 
a lot of the times when she's dancing or at the club, she talks about a sheen of sweat. But I would have to be like under the dryer in the bathroom or I'd just go home. I need a towel. But they're having a great night. (laughs) Life is good. Life is fucking good, she says. She's sending texts and videos to Danica, who has major FOMO about missing the night out. Still high off light seeker, a.k.a. the white powder. Don't take it. A.k.a. cocaine. (laughs) Bryce goes home, but she's so fucked up she can't remember her building code at first. She notes several times on her way to her apartment how much the building smells. It's overwhelming. She steps in a puddle outside her door while looking for her keys, but the door is already open. The iron door is practically ripped off the hinges. She thinks she's hallucinating before she smells the blood. Quote, but her fey eyes adjusted to the dark, revealing the apartment. What was left of it? What was left of them? Bryce is not only in shock here, but she's dealing with the drugs that are still in her system. And she is our narrator. So it's very disorienting. She finds what's left of Danica, Thorne, and Connor all in her room. That's awful. I know. She assumes Thorne and Connor were attempting to protect Danica. I was in denial when I was reading this. We just spent, I don't know, how many pages falling in love with and getting to know these characters, and they're all murdered. What the fuck, Sarah? (laughs) Bryce hears a sound in the hallway and grabs a broken table leg, which is an interesting (laughs) choice, and starts chasing whoever or whatever this is. I remember thinking, grab the sword, but it's in that fucking supply closet. So armed with a table leg, she chases this humanoid thing that sounds a lot like my sleep paralysis demon. It has near translucent gray skin, and she's chasing it through the streets, and she finds it literally eating an angel. She can either keep chasing this thing who ripped her thigh open and is now on the run, or help the angel who has a huge chest wound. She does get a hit in, so... (laughs) She must get her furniture somewhere else because Ikea table legs could never. (laughs) Bryce decides to stay and help this nameless angel and calls the Vanier equivalent of 911. She doesn't know where she is, but they can track the angel's phone. And they do so pretty quickly once they hear the angel's phone number. Hmm. We then switch point of views, seeing Bryce in an interrogation room from the eyes of Isaiah Tiberian. I did notice we switch point of views. um, It's earlier and it's a lot more often in Crescent City. So I, there's like more depth to some of the characters because we know what they're thinking and feeling. Isaiah's catching up Hunt, a.k.a. the Umbra Mortis, a.k.a. the Shadow of Death, a.k.a. the personal assassin of Micah. But he's not wearing his scary helmet, so he's just Hunt. Just hunt. Isaiah and Hunt both have tattoos of thorns across their brows as a sign of their participation in the failed rebellion. The witch magic in the fucked up halo binds the majority of their power. We finally get a little more backstory on the rebellion here. Do you, did you think about, like, we've already had Latin, possible Roman influence. Is, are the thorns in a crown like a Jesus? Like, are they blending in? Like, you know how Christmas is pagan mm-hmm. and then it just evolves over time. Like, are the thorns in the crown, is that like something taken from humans in the human era? I mean, it could be. Yeah. Uh, We finally get a little more backstory on the rebellion here. Hunt led the 18th Legion in an uprising against the Asteri for the Archangel Shahar. They lost, and now they're slaves and serve the people they tried to overthrow. Hunt and Isaiah belong to Micah. Isaiah is unofficially the commander of the 33rd, and no one really knows where Hunt falls in the pecking order. He's on demon duty most of the time, tracking and killing demons who creep through the cracks or enter via an illegal summoning, For that reason, Hunt answers directly to Micah. And it could be worse. 
than Micah. We learned that. Mm-hmm. Bryce is understandably in shock, and her leg was stitched up, sorry, stapled up by Hunt, who writes her off as just another spoiled party girl. And he's not wrong here, but it's not really the time or place to judge her. It is interesting, and in my reread, I caught this a lot more. Hunt seems to be the only one that can calm Bryce down, and he's more in tune with what she's feeling. He can sense when she's near her breaking point. When they hear Danica and her pack were killed the same day Briggs was released, they make some pretty big leaps and arrest him. Not only is that a, like a really big summoning for a human to pull off, but what dumbass would do it the very day he's released from prison? Or it's, it's not even really prison. It's like dungeons. I mean, we know some dumb criminals, but that seems real dumb. Yeah. And as if Bryce hasn't been through enough, Sabine, which is Danica's mom, shows up calling Bryce, quote, a half-breed whore and threatening to kill her. But she really seems the most upset about the sword, which is, air quotes, missing, although we know exactly where it is. Isaiah wonders how Sabine could blame Bryce when you look at her one crime, public indecency at a parade, compared to Danica's seven files of crimes and seven, you know. There's that number again. Sabine does say something interesting here. She says, quote, Danica could never keep her mouth shut around her enemies, end quote. She doesn't elaborate and Hunt kicks her out. Back in the interrogation room, Victoria, a wraith who also participated in the rebellion and is now stuck in her body because of it, pulls up texts between Bryce and Danica, including one that says she fucks someone who wasn't Connor in the bathroom. Mm. It doesn't seem relevant to the case, but okay. Even worse, they play audio from the apartment building. You can hear Danica begging and screaming, and it's horrible. We were listening to this scene during a road trip, and our friend Morgan, who's a lawyer, kept yelling, where are the lawyers? What are the laws? (laughs) It pushes Bryce to a complete breakdown, and she trashes the room and pukes. And somehow it's only, quote, the shadow of death that seems to have some decency about this whole thing. Once again, he calms Bryce down, but he also judges her for her dress. It's ripped. You know, she's been through some shit. And he thinks he's seen whores wearing more modest clothes. And this is a victim hunt. Fuck off. During the interrogation, Isaiah gets a call from their captain, Naomi, telling him to release Bryce immediately. Bryce's half-brother and Prince of the Valbar and Faye, Rune fucking Dannon is here to save the day. He storms in pissed his fake cousin was questioned without a fey escort. Surprise, the Autumn King is Bryce's deadbeat dad. I can't remember if they come out and say, they just, I don't, I don't know if they lay it out that the Autumn King is Bryce's father or it just becomes really obvious. But Bryce limps away through an open door and out into the hall before Rune bursts in. We get more info on Rune here. He's not only the Autumn King's son and leader of the Fey Auxiliary, but he has the Star Sword as proof of his Chosen One status. Its black hilt, quote, devours the glaring first lights. Isaiah heard it was forged in another world before the Fey went through the Northern Rift. I remember reading this and immediately thinking of Truth Teller. Um, And Rune has the power to summon shadows. It's a gift from his kin across the sea. So could he be related to our favorite shadow singer or the Night Court in general? Hunt peppers Rune with questions about Bryce. Rune snaps, saying you can find her with drugs in her system at least once a week, and she always does what she wants, which, why shouldn't she? (laughs) He's bitter enough that it's obvious there's a backstory there, but it's not what Hunt is thinking, which is incest. You know, because everybody thinks they're just cousins, distant cousins. They aren't too worried about Bryce leaving, because apparently the water she drank had a tracking device in it somehow, which seems illegal. 
and not safe. Yeah. We wrap up part one with the quote, sailing of Danica and the pack of devils. The sailing is where the body of a deceased is sent across the Istros River to the bone quarter for their final sleep. Connor's younger brother, Ethan, messages Bryce and tells her she isn't welcome. I think you mean Ethan. (laughs) (laughs) It's the whole thing is fucked up. They know she didn't do this. She has an alibi that checks out. And she was, as far as we know, the closest person to Danica. And she was an honorary member of the pack. I know he's grieving, but fuck Ethan, fuck Sabine. Bryce sneaks out of the hotel she's staying in with her mother and sails to the bone quarter by herself. I couldn't. I'd be too scared. She's kneeling at its steps when something comes out of the mist, something ancient and terrible. Part one ends before we find out exactly what she's doing there. The book does not have a slow start, and there's a lot of complex world building and character building. I was struggling until we hit Danica and the Pack's murders. I couldn't put it down after that. I was speed reading, looking for the moment where Bryce wakes up or time travels or something, because what the fuck? I thought it was going to be like when we saw Breaking Dawn in theaters, and <laughs> you are like, everyone just got murdered, but it was actually Alice singing in the future. Like, I kept looking for something like that, but nope. Some way to fix this. And we will pick back up next week in part two, The Trench, with chapters 8 through 18 and a time jump 22 months into the future. Send us your unpopular opinions, theories, fan art, fan fiction, especially fan fiction, (laughs) whatever, to dtfaepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you guys so much, and we'll see you next week. Bye, y'all.